Welcome to the Fort Hill Community Church Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, we're going to be all the way to verse 26. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever been angry before? you ever been to the DMV, I'm sure you have, or any other government office, right, called Social Security, okay, uh, like really, really angry, really angry, or maybe you've had someone that's been angry with you. Whenever I was in high school, I, uh, I didn't have a car, I, I didn't have a car until I was like 25 or 26, which is weird, but that's just how it worked out for me. Uh, I had a few siblings, so we had like a few cars floating around, and I grabbed my mom's car to go to my friend's house, and she had a special parking, she was a professor at uh, University of Southern Mississippi, and she had a, a, a particular parking tag that she had to, to use to be able to park and not get fined. Anyway, so that's the car I took, with the one with the tag, and uh, she was going to use another car to drive to school, to go to work. And she realized that she didn't have the parking tag. And so she got very, very angry with me, okay? Uh, no, not you, Hannah. I'm talking about my mom, not my kid's mom's mom. Uh, so, yeah, sorry. I was just looking at you. So my mom got very angry with me, and I wake up to her yelling at me at my friend's house. She drives to my friend's house. She opens the front door. She says, where is Aaron? She runs or walks quickly to where I'm asleep in my friend's bedroom, and I wake up to my mom screaming at me because I took her car. It's the weirdest experience of my life. She was very angry with me. And thinking back, I was like, she must have been having a bad day, right? That's a weird reason to get really angry with someone. But she was yelling at me. She was angry. I jumped in the car. She took me home, and that was it. As kingdom people... People in God's kingdom, that's what we've been reading about in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has come to this world to establish a new kingdom, and this kingdom has new norms to it, that those who are in the kingdom are blessed because they're poor in spirit, because they mourn, because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. So this is a new people that God is making, and in that kingdom, as kingdom people, what is our relationship with anger? What is our relationship with anger? Today, Jesus is going to teach us something about anger that maybe you might not even believe. He's going to warn us about anger. He's going to describe anger to you in a way that you might have never heard it explained before and might not actually agree with him on. What Jesus shows us is that in the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom, we understand that some of the most heinous crimes that we could commit are birthed out of an angry heart. This is a very, very serious teaching. And because of this, we must do two things whenever it comes to anger. And maybe you're thinking in yourself times that you've been angry in your life. First, we must watch our hearts. Watch our hearts. And second, we must make it right. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 26, and let's read the text together to see what Jesus is talking about here. Okay. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, 
and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire or the fire of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What an interesting description of anger. Jesus, to establish the context, has clarified his relationship with the Old Testament teaching. Last week we saw that Jesus is the entire point of the Old Testament. The vast majority of the Bible points us to Jesus. The Old Testament is a train and it's heading towards a destination and that destination is Jesus Christ. And now what he's going to do in the next six sections is he's going to expound or teach on the Old Testament. This has become, this is known as the next six chapter or six sections, is known as the six antitheses, however that is, plural, antithesis, I, I don't know. Maybe you guys can figure that one out. That's a tricky one. These next six sections, he discusses six Old Testament teachings. Anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and then love of enemies. And he introduces each section with this phrase here, you have heard it was said to those of old. You have heard it said. You have heard it said. This is a very important phrase. He doesn't say to them, it is written, but he says to them, you have heard it said. Jesus understands his audience. Jesus is talking with people who have been taught by Pharisees and scribes. These Pharisees and scribes were great teachers of the law in Christ's day. But as is common, they often mixed their own teaching in with the Word of God. They incorporated their own sort of doctrines, their own commandments in with the Word of God alongside what the Bible actually said. And so Jesus isn't taking it for granted these people actually know the Old Testament. And so he says, you have heard it said. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 15, verse 7 and verse 9. He says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, In vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These people were adding to Scripture and teaching teachings that were not actually true to what God had said in his word. These people knew thou shalt not murder, but they didn't understand just how deeply that teaching went, the fullness of what that teaching meant. And so that's why he says, you have heard it said. And that brings us to our first point whenever it comes to anger. You need to watch your heart. Let me read verse 21 again. Let me read verse 21 again. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who assaults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. To the hell of fire. 
In the original teaching, this teaching comes directly from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Um, this also included murder or death due to negligence or carelessness. Murder was such a heinous act because it was an attack on the image of God. In, the, in Genesis chapter 3, or chapter 1 and 2, actually, whenever God makes humanity, he makes men and women in his own image. And so it's not that whenever you murder someone, it's not that it's, it's that someone's dying, but an image bearer is dying. Someone who is created to show God in this world and someone who has the spark of divinity in that sense, that God created us in his image, that that is dying. That's why it's different if a cat dies versus a human dies, right? Or an animal, although we're not, you know, we don't go out there killing animals just for fun. That's not right, but it's different. We know it's different. We feel that intrinsically because we are made in the image of God. That's the original teaching, thou shalt not murder. But it's the second clause here that was the addition. It's the second clause here that was the addition. You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. It is here that Jesus says, but I say to you. But I say to you. Jesus is the one who fulfills the law, and now he's the one who's speaking with authority who is speaking to us and explaining the law to us, and he has come to set the record straight. Murder is far easier to do than you might realize. Of the Ten Commandments, you might think that this is the easiest one to keep. Thou shalt not murder. If I could keep any of the ten, this is the one. I just needed coffee, right? If I have my coffee in the morning, then, and that's why we give it, right? Just because we want to keep this commandment, right? As long as I have my coffee, I'm all set. No murder here, okay? Um, now, it's something that, that I want to say, because I think it needs to be said. We think for ourselves that, you know, murdering someone is... I doubt if anyone here has ever murdered anyone. I doubt that highly. Something that's easy to keep, okay? But we also live in a country where 60 million babies have been aborted, right? Okay? And as people that believe in God's word and believe that these babies are babies and not just clumps of cells, we understand that this teaching is far more easily broken than we would like to admit. In the past 50 years, 60 million, uh, that's what, how many people? 320 million people in the United States? Far more easier to commit than we would dare say. This is not a sermon on an abortion, but it could be. Believing in the intrinsic value of all humans, even the preborn. In fact, making that point, Jesus makes it hit even closer to home. Yes, I've never struck someone and killed them, and probably, I don't know if anyone here has had an abortion. And let me say this, if you had, then welcome to Jesus Christ, right? If you have had an abortion, or if you've paid for an abortion, then welcome to Jesus Christ, who loves you and has died on the cross for your sins and has made a way for that baby to be in heaven with him. Praise God, who covers all of our sins. But let's say none of that's case. Let's say you've never killed someone. Let's say you've never had an abortion. How does this apply to me then? How does this apply to me? Jesus is going to make it hit a lot closer to home. Get a load of what Jesus actually says. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
You might not have murdered someone, maybe you haven't had an abortion, but have you ever been angry with someone? Yeah. Well, maybe you've murdered them in your heart. It's far easier than we would like to admit. There's more than one way to kill someone. Whereas the Jews were more interested in keeping the letter of the law, fine, great, I just won't smack this guy. I can hold my hands. Jesus shows them that they failed at the heart of the law. It's not enough if you've murdered this person in your heart. Where do you think murder comes from? Where do you think the desire for murder or the, the, the rage, where does that come from? Why do people murder in the first place? Because they're bored? Because they have nothing better to do? No, it comes from an angry heart. That is the source of all murder, the human heart. And that's what Jesus targets. And that is what is radically different. If whenever you read the New Testament and Jesus going after these scribes and going after these Pharisees, they were so good at keeping the law, but their hearts were far from God. And Jesus comes and, and implements this new kingdom and preaches this new kingdom. And he says, you can't... You can't separate the hands from the heart. It's not enough what you're doing, it's why are you doing this? Don't bring your money to me whenever your heart is far from me. Don't bring your tithe and don't try to do good just so other people can see it. That is not doing anything. It's the heart. You need to check your heart. In Christ's kingdom, what matters is the condition of the heart. You might read, thou shalt not murder and think, that doesn't apply to me. But when the gavel comes down in the court of the king, the verdict is guilty because you murdered your fellow man in your heart. And so I just want to, as we are working through this, I want you to think, is there anyone that you have issues with in your life? And sometimes it's not up to us, right? Sometimes it's other people that are angry with us. But sometimes it's us that is angry with them, okay? And if it's someone that's angry with us, then that's, that's a different context. That's not quite what's here. But if it's you that's angry with someone else, that's what Jesus is talking about. And so as we're working through this, I just want you to think on that. Is there anyone in your life that you need to be reconciled with? That you still have something against? In Christ's kingdom, what matters is the condition of the heart. And we're going to see just how seriously he takes that. Um, you know, what's, what's, I was thinking about this, going back to that point. When the gavel comes down in the court of the king, and we think this doesn't apply to me, and yet we are guilty. One time I was, uh, I was driving after, uh, it was after class, and I was driving through a school zone, and I didn't realize it, and school was letting out. And I saw a cop behind me, and the lights went on. I was like, uh-oh, someone's getting pulled over. I was the one getting pulled over, right? <laughs> I was the guy getting pulled over and that idea is the same idea here uh-oh someone's going to get sort of in trouble with this teaching jesus is going to get well maybe that person is you maybe that person is you verse 22 let's just break this down a little bit in this verse we see jesus progressing a statement he's sort of building a case and it's three different lines that sort of build on top of each other and gives more detail and gives more impact. And it's really interesting how he does it. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Okay, so the word judgment there is the word counsel. So if you're angry, then you're going to be brought before the council, and they're going to say guilty. Then he says this. He builds on it. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. So that word insult there in the original language is raka. Raka, okay? And that word raka was an actual insult in their day. If you said raka at someone, you were calling them empty-headed like a blockhead or someone that's stupid. You're dumb. You're an idiot. Okay? You were saying that, that they were you know, nothing. They were a, a nothing of a person. So if you call someone, if you think someone's stupid and dumb, um, he says you'll be liable to the council. That word council there is the word for Sanhedrin. So it's not just any council. It's the highest council. It's not just any court. The Supreme Court. So we, we get a, a, a continuing, an intensity in that second section, that second line. And that brings us to the third and final one. If anyone says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That word fool is the word moros, where we get the word moron. And I'm not giving you these words so you can use them against other people, okay? That's not, that's not the point. And it's, it's not just saying someone's dumb, like here, it's saying that they're a terrible person here, okay, in the heart. It's an attack of the heart. This is the worst person ever, okay? You're attacking their character. And Jesus says it's those that have that, and, and not, I don't want to, you know, make it too, these, like a too hard and fast rule, um, but he, make, he moves it to the next highest judgment. You'll be liable to the divine court, the hell of fire, the highest judgment. Um, if you read that word hell there, the word hell there is Gehenna. And I don't know if you know the history of that word. Remember Jesus uses the word hell. It's often the word Gehenna, which is uh, just another name for the valley of Hinnom, which is outside of Jerusalem, where the Jews would take and dump their trash and burn it, and it was just a smoldering dump that burnt. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were two guys that sacrificed their kids in the Valley of Hinnom, and so it's not a good place. It's not where you want to be, and it became a metaphor that was associated with divine punishment. Okay? So at the end of this, all of this taken together, Jesus shows us that anger left unchecked ultimately destroys you. Anger destroys you. And it's such a tricky thing. Because in your anger, you want to put the other person on trial in your court and swing your gavel and yell guilty, guilty, guilty and met out your own punishment. But in reality, Jesus says it's just the opposite. It is you who are on trial and it's you who are liable for judgment. Man, it's a tough one. Who are you angry with in your life? Is there anyone that you hate? And maybe there's not. But life isn't easy, and there will be. Is there anyone that you are angry with? Anyone that you despise? Anyone that you've called a fool? Anyone that you've called an idiot? Anyone that by Christ's own standard you have murdered in your heart? Anyone that you have denied the imago dei, this person created in the image of God, that you say, you know what, I hate you. Harboring such anger will never lead to the healing and freedom that your soul desires. 
Here, I think of my grandmother. And I love my grandmother. She's great. And Grant, if you're watching this, sorry. It's just the truth. She was, she was an angry woman. She's still alive. And it's hard, you know, as a kid, and you're growing up, and there's a lot of things in your family's past that you just don't know. And you figure it out along the way as you grow. Uh, my grandmother got divorced from my grandfather, and I don't think she ever got over that. And I think she was sad, I think she was hurt, but I also think she was very, very angry. And I, you know, that word curmudgeon, that's definitely my grandma. Hannah's like smiling and laughing. My grandmother's great. She's got a very thick southern accent, right? Anytime I go over, she's like giving me like cakes and, and little Debbie treats. She's always like stuffing, you know, just here it is, right? She's awesome. But I also think that she's very angry because she was very hurt. And you just hold on to that. And you don't let it go. And you want your judgment to come. And you want the person to feel sorry for what they did to you. That's what you want. I want you to feel the same pain and more than the pain that you have made me feel. That's what it is. That's what I want you to feel. And what Jesus is saying, if you hold that, you're never going to find freedom and healing. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You might have every reason in the world to be angry. But what does God say? Romans 12, verse 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, what if the person gets away with it? This person did this terrible thing. What if they get away with it? What Paul says is no one gets away with it, Right? No one gets away with it. You are not the judge. There is a capital J, J judge, and that punishment is going to be meted out, and it's either meted out in hell, or it's meted out in Christ Jesus. And that same Jesus that died for you is the same Jesus that died for the person that has hurt you. Do you want that person to find forgiveness? Would you desire that person turn from their sins? Ultimately, any sin against you is not ultimately against you. It's ultimately against the God of heaven and earth who created you. Would you pray for your enemies? Would you pray for your enemies? Praise God that the judgment is meted out in Christ and if I embrace him and trust him and love him, that it doesn't come on me. That Gehenna is not mine because I have Jesus Christ. And your enemy does too. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Bible only makes provision for one type of anger, and that is righteous anger. Righteous anger. It is the anger Jesus displayed when he saw his house turned into a den of robbers. Maybe you remember the story the people there, there's different levels to the temple. And in the Gentile court where the non-Jews would come and worship God, they set up tables so people could change money and so they could buy sheep. Because if you live up in Galilee, you don't want to bring a sheep down to sacrifice in Jerusalem. I can just buy one there. And this temple, this, this place of prayer became a place for people to make money. And Jesus was so angry that he flipped the tables over. He made whips and started whipping people. Wow. Amazing. 
You guys better watch out. Don't make me angry, okay? Just kidding. It's his house. He can rearrange the furniture. He was angry. That's a righteous anger. Was Jesus wrong? No. This righteous anger, the only provision of anger that is given to us that we can have, is the same anger that Jesus displayed when he saw the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus and beholded before his face the reality of fallen flesh, the reality of sin that comes and destroys God's creation, and he groans, Lazarus, come out. He was angry. It's the frustration Jesus shows whenever he was confronted with his disciples and their own failures, their own inability to have the faith to see God actually do the things that he said that he was going to do. Matthew 17, 17, Jesus says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? It's the anger that comes from understanding that this world was not created to be the way that it currently is. That God didn't create things so they would die. That's not the type of God He is. That God did not create things so that it, this world so it would decay. It's a type of anger that comes whenever God's name is profaned amongst the people. And the people that were in darkness, the light has come, but they love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And we say, don't do that. Turn and be reconciled. It's the anger that comes whenever people that were created for God's glory Turn from him and embrace idols. If you're going to get angry about anything, get angry about that. Be mad that sin and death reign where there ought to be life, joy, salvation, and God's glory. Be mad about that and then do something about it. I remember the church, I've shared a story before, a church I was at in Augusta. I was chatting with a guy and he was telling me about this really troubled relationship that he had with, I think it was his wife at the time, I'm not really sure, and the infidelity and the arguing and the fighting and all the messiness. And then he also said they had uh, a couple of abortions as well. And, and just, it was just such a heavy story. And it just happened. We were like doing construction stuff at the church. And I was just chatting with this guy. He just sort of unloaded it all on me. And I'm happy to take that. And I remember driving back to my house and just being so overcome with the sin of this world and how, how unlike Jesus it is and how needy this world is for a Savior and just the heaviness of it all. And I got angry. And I started crying. And I've never been angry like that before. And it wasn't at that person. It wasn't at that guy. And it wasn't at his girlfriend. It wasn't at e either of them. I was angry that this is the way it is. I was angry that there's a deceiver in this world. That there's a tempter in this world that says this is better, but it's actually the path to death. And that people believe it. That's what made me angry. And I think it was a righteous anger. You'll find that whenever you care more about God's name than your own name, it's both easier and harder to get angry. It's harder to get angry whenever people personally slight you. Easier to get angry whenever you see the condition of this world. And what we have to do is balance that. What we have to do is be angry for the right reasons. And I just bring that to you. What makes you angry? And I think the answer to that question shows you the condition of your heart. What makes you angry? 
is that whenever people do things to you personally, anger is a natural emotion. Or do you get angry over the stuff that Jesus gets angry about? We have to watch our heart. That's not an easy thing to tease out. We have to watch our heart. We can't murder anyone in our hearts. We have to have such a love, that Jesus, the same love that Jesus had for his enemies, that he prayed for them, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Like That is just such a crazy response. That in the act of being murdered, Jesus says, please God. And then we see Stephen in the book of Acts, do not hold this sin against them. And, and Stephen gave up his spirit. How do I get there? How do I get there? Lord, help me to be angry for the right reasons. And I pray that for you. And that starts with watching our heart. If we do that, moving on to the next section, if we watch our hearts, if we do that, we'll see that as God reveals the condition of our hearts and we do mess up, that we need to make it right. If we do sin against others, if there is an issue of anger, we need to make it right. I'm going to read from 23. So Jesus gave the teaching in the first two verses. Now he's doing the application in the next four. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, so you messed up, and let me make that clear, you messed up and you haven't made it right. Okay, Verse 24, what do I do? Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, or you go with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Here Jesus gives us two scenarios in which he stresses, stresses to us the importance of making it right. You know, one thing that's... Uh, that I've noticed, if you don't like confrontation, then it's going to be hard to follow Jesus. If, if confrontation is something that scares you and you want to run away, then it's going to be really difficult. Because that's what, I mean, that's what the whole following Jesus, it's nothing but confront, confrontation with our own sin, confrontation with others, confrontation in the sense of sharing the gospel, although confrontation is probably not the right word there. But this, this is what Jesus gets to. You need to confront the issue and you need to make it right. And he, he explains this in two scenarios. The first is a worship setting. The second is a court setting. If you have wronged someone else, then this is what you need to do. The first setting, the, the worship setting, verse 23 and 24. Jesus describes someone who is bringing an offering to God. They're coming in the temple. They have their offering. They're coming to the altar. They're placing it at the altar. They're doing their whole worship thing. We might say... That it's someone walking into church Sunday morning. They're over there, the tithe basket. They're writing out their check. About to drop it in the basket. And in the middle of writing the check, this man, made up man, remembers the argument that he had this past week. Maybe with his wife. Not that husbands ever argue with their wives. Remembers an argument that he had this past week where he said some really hurtful things. Things that he hasn't apologized for yet. That's a very real scenario. 
On the outside, you see this guy, he's about to tithe, he's fulfilling his religious duty, but he's neglected something far more important, and that is reconciliation with the people that he has hurt. He hasn't made it right. You might look at the size of that tithe check, $500, $1,000. This guy must really love Jesus to give away that much money, but that's not what it is. He's neglected the far more important thing in Christ's mind. One of the hardest things for people to say is, I'm sorry. The hardest thing to ask for, forgiveness. And it's really easy to preoccupy ourselves with other outer religious activities which make it seem like I've got my life together and neglect what God is actually calling me to do. Which is reconciliation and right relationship with those that I've wronged. We can kind of assuage our conscience and think, yeah, I know I need to do this, but at least I tithe today. To which Jesus says, keep your money. Keep your money. I don't need your money. It won't be received because it wasn't given in faith. You're not giving it to me. You're giving it for yourself to make you feel better. On the contrary, keep the check. Don't even grab a seat. Don't get a coffee. Head out the door, get in your car, and go and be reconciled. And I love the immediacy of this. He says, leave your gift at the altar as if you're going to be coming back later in the day to give it. So don't take your gift. Don't go home. Don't even pray about it, right? Don't write out a carefully worded apology and type it out and then set up a coffee date and then go and then, you know, do the apology and then come back and double up your tithe next week. No. Leave your gift at the altar. Go take care of this right now. And then come back and put the tithe in the basket. If your house is on fire, you're taking care of that right now. What about the relationships in your life that are on fire? Genuine worship of God depends on this. Genuine worship of God depends on this. Maybe if you feel God's distant. Maybe you feel you're in a rut. I think what Jesus is telling us here is that personal relationships affect our relationship with God. If we have strife in our lives, it's going to affect our worship. It's going to affect our tithe. It's going to affect our giving. Psalm 51, 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. If you know the context of Psalm 51 there, David has committed a terrible sin. He had a man killed, and he took that man's wife. And David was trying to assuage his conscience. by He was the king. Take all the gold. Take all the silver. We give, we give you all the praise. Hear all of the people, all the musicians playing. Glory to God, glory to God. God did not want any of those things. Kill as many goats as you want. Kill as many lambs as you want. It doesn't matter. That's not what I want from you. I want a broken and contrite heart over your sin. I want you to repent, and I want you to embrace me. Why does God want that? Why does he want reconciliation? Because that's the type of God he is. He's a reconciling God. What do you think the gospel is? God reconciled God and man. And so we have to, we have to live out the reconciliation that we have received with God. We have to live that out in our lives. Don't you think the gospel touches this? 
If God has reconciled you to him, don't you think he wants you to live a life of reconciliation with others? Don't let your worship be wasted. Don't let it be useless. Bring your broken and contrite heart to the Lord and then bring your tithe. A heart that says, man, I stepped in it. I got to make it right. That's what God loves. Because if we don't do that, not only will our worship be hindered, but it can lead to far, not far worse, um, circumstances or consequences, because that's a serious consequence. But in this world, it can lead to much trouble. And this is what we'll close with in verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard you put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I think the main point here is that if we don't take care of broken relationships and don't apologize, things can escalate. I've never personally experienced this, but I know that in some families, people, brothers and sisters, haven't talked to each other in decades, in years. They would, that, I know in, in Hannah's own uh, family, there's an uncle, Uncle Andy. We just don't really see him a whole lot. He doesn't really come around on Thanksgiving and Christmas because that's a broken relationship. If we don't take care of these things, these things can escalate quickly. Here the guy is thrown into jail. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you are legitimately accused of sin, if you have legitimately hurt someone, you need to own it, you need to be reconciled, you need to pursue peace, and if that peace doesn't come, then so be it. But don't let it be because you didn't pursue it. Far better to come to terms with those who accuse you out of court than in it. In the kingdom of God, we understand that God is not merely looking at what we do or don't do, but he also looks at our hearts. And nowhere is that more pertinent than with anger. My prayer is that God, sort of ironically, would fill us with anger. But anger for the right things. Anger for his glory. Not personal anger, but the anger of Jesus. The anger that comes from a hunger and a thirst of righteousness. An anger that's more about God's name than our own name. And I think this, the, the reason for that, what that leads us to, is being less angry personally and more angry, angry righteously. But if we do eventually mess up to seek reconciliation, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, that our God is a reconciling God, this becomes more clear to us, but it doesn't necessarily become easier to us. For you, I don't know your stories. I don't know if you have someone in your life that you are angry with or might be angry with you. But if that is the case, you can't hold on to that. You have to let that go. You have to give that to the Lord. You can't murder that person in your heart anymore. If you do, you don't understand that you don't understand the forgiveness that you personally have received from Jesus Christ himself. He's calling us to live as kingdom people. And when you do that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for your grace to me and my family. I want to thank you for this word of Jesus that comes and is so different from the world, Lord. The world that says that we have to get our pound of flesh. The world, Lord, that just the, the innate sort of desire that I want to see you 
suffer as much as you've made me suffer. And, and the ethic of the kingdom that is just the opposite of that. How hard, how challenging is that, Lord? But what did Jesus say? If anyone wants to follow me, he's going to deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And so I pray that this teaching, God, that you would come and help us. That the road to reconciliation, Lord, I believe is first to understand our own reconciliation that we have with you, that we were sinners, that we were so far from you, Lord, that we were so estranged from you. It says in Ephesians that we were strangers and aliens to the covenant promises of God, that we were on the outside looking in, and yet you came and you preached the message of salvation even to us, Way back in the day to Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And we get to enter by that promise, Lord. And how can that reconciliation that I have with you through Jesus not come and radically change the relationships that I have in this world? What an opportunity that we have to preach the gospel. That those that the world says we should be angry with, we instead offer grace. Lord, I want to pray for everyone here that we would know that forgiveness so much that it colors these things, that we, we can appreciate that and understand that. And if there is anyone in that, that they would go, maybe even right after this service, maybe even right now, and go and seek reconciliation. Because that's exactly what Jesus said. Don't even leave the tithe in the basket. Lord, help us there. Help us there. Help us as, as people... Maybe, maybe we know someone who has an anger issue. Maybe we know someone where there's a broken relationship. Maybe we can minister in that situation. Maybe we can show them this text. Maybe we can share the gospel. Give us opportunity there. I pray, Lord, as we work through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that you would just make these things real to us in a way that they haven't been before. We thank you most of all for your son. We pray that you would help us to cherish him above all things. I pray this in his name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning at Fort Hill Community Church in Gorham, Maine. For more information about Pastor Aaron or Fort Hill Community Church, visit us on Facebook or check out our website at www.forthillchurch.com.